Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Well, we've got a lot to cover today from the EU warning that it may break up big tech companies. What could this mean for the valuation of tech companies? Should investors be worried at all? To soaring U.S. stock prices, uh, we'll take a look at the Russell 2000. How's it doing? That index. And uh, Singapore's new segregated travel lane. Is it going to boost our economy? Also, I want to take a look at one of Vanguard's new funds. It has now more than one trillion U.S. dollars in assets. The Vanguard's Total Stock Market Index Fund. Where is it going? We'll put that question to our guest today, the wonderful Arun Pai, uh, Chief Strategy Officer over at Flow. Welcome, Arun. How are you doing this Thursday? I'm doing very well, Michelle. How are you? I am really great. Always terrific to speak with you. So, Arun, the U.S. Federal Reserve announced overnight that it will keep buying U.S. government bonds until the economy makes, quote, substantial progress. And it also plans to keep short-term interest rates near zero for at least the next three years. Market reaction to the Fed's overnight announcements relatively muted. The Dow finished lower. The S&P 500 made marginal gains. But overall this year, the Nasdaq hit a new record high. And so has the Russell 2000 index of small caps. So we're down to the last two weeks of the year. Arun, do you see much room for further gains before investors close out their books? Probably not. I think there were some investors who were hoping the Fed would potentially increase their uh, bond purchase program purely because of like real economic time data, wherein, you know, the U.S. is obviously not faring too well with the whole COVID crisis. Neither is the EU. The only place that seems to be doing quite well is Asia. So I I guess, you know, for the last run up to the end of the year, people were hoping maybe the Fed would try and, you know, give a little bit of Christmas cheer and increase the bond buying. That sadly did not happen. Markets reaction as expected was quite muted on the back of that. So in terms of like news headlines or, you know, uh, anything else that's going to be upcoming in the next 12, 13 days, Mm. probably difficult to see something that will, really push up the market any more from all these already elevated levels. Okay. Um, You know, U.S. shares, though, trading at historically high levels. And this is an ongoing debate, right? The concern about sky-high valuations. We've talked about this. Some analysts uttering that word, the bubble word. And then U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell appearing to give some ammunition to the high prices, indicating that with low interest rates, high share prices make sense. So what do you think? Uh, Do you think there's a bubble on this or are you with Powell on this? So uh, given where the interest rates are, uh, given, you know, that you, you can look as far as you want and there is no inflation in the near term horizon, there is truckloads of government assistance in terms of pumping in money into the economy, be it the Fed, be it the Japanese Central Bank, ECB, you name it, across the board. And of course, lastly, the great news of vaccinations not just being approved, but, you know, actually starting to be already rolled out to, of course, the frontline uh, healthcare workers, uh, people most at risk, etc. So from that perspective, you know, there are a lot of really strong tailwinds that are pushing the stock market, at least, higher, I would say, in the, you know, short-term future. 
yesterday I was listening to Charlie Munger's uh, interview. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, uh, of a wise age of like 96 years, by the way. And he was mentioning when he was younger, much younger, and polio was spreading like wildfire, when it actually came down to it, the speed with which these vaccinations, the polio vaccine, was deployed pretty much across the globe would make someone's head spin. So you can only imagine right now, like, you know, decades later, with the advent of technology, with the kind of uh, real-time logistics uh, mechanisms in place, how quickly... Uh, these companies, these pharmaceutical companies, be it Pfizer, Moderna, the whole list, will be able to churn out the required six, seven billion odd vaccines. So from that perspective, you know, we seem to be going down the right path. Uh, Hopefully post-Jan 20th, geopolitical issues will also start taking a much more measured approach. And there won't be that wild card that can swing the market, you know, be it up or down by like a bunch of percent in a daily basis. So given all of those aspects, short term, and by short term, I mean, you know, I would say like one to two years, we seem to be, uh, you know, on a good footing going into the end of this year. Just one quick thing, though, Mm. over the next 10 years, and this is something that even Charlie Munger was highlighting, given the Overall valuation, given that eventually this punch bowl will have to be taken away from central banks, because we are truly in unprecedented times of zero interest rate, this much government uh, deployment into our capital markets, that will potentially take a more negative term. And he's taking a more cautious approach for the next 10 years, that the returns will potentially be substantially lower than the last 10 years. And I kind of fall into you know, his camp on that one. Wow. Uh, yes. So Charlie Munger urging caution with a 10 year view of history, uh, given also that we're going to see quantitative easing likely and large government deficits uh, coming into the equation as well. OK, that's a little depressing. Let's look at the Russell 2000 uh, index, Arun. One day ago, the Russell 2000 index of small cap stocks finished at a record high overnight. It rose nearly two and a half percent. So small caps have trailed behind blue chips for most of the year. What do you make of investor interest in them now? I think it's an extremely positive sign, right? Where uh, investors, you know, obviously the tech stocks, the FANG universe and a number of others have had a tremendous run this year. You know, kudos to anyone who caught that complete wave. But from the perspective of just taking a step back, looking at the potentially, you know, larger or overhyped in like valuations of these companies, where else can capital be deployed? Cash is at 0%, bonds are zero, or you know, for the $17 trillion worth of bondholders, it's actually negative. So you know, you, you've got to have like avenues where to deploy capital that can generate a reasonably attractive risk-reward return. And from that perspective, more and more people are seeing these pockets of green shoots coming out in the more smaller segments, they've managed to create a niche within that smaller industry or sector and have this nice like economic moat around itself to protect its business model. So it's great to see that it's not just like five or 10 stocks that are pulling the entire S&P 500 index up, but in the case of like the more real economy, and it's still not real, right? Because Mm -hmm. Russell 2000 is the 2000 largest companies. Uh, and there are like there are millions of smaller businesses that are still sadly struggling given the COVID pandemic. But it's great to see like this trickle down effect 
where the top line and bottom line of these medium-sized companies are improving, investors are acknowledging that growth, they're willing to put money into that space. All right. You know, just terrific to hear Charlie Munger thinking that the virus impact could dwindle, that the vaccinations could pretty much decimate the virus um, within a year or so. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, here in Singapore, we're also cheering news like uh, the fact that we're launching a segregated travel lane for business travelers. What impact do you think this is going to have on Singapore as a hub? And do you think this is going to help boost our economy? I mean, first and foremost, like, you know, kudos to the government to achieve what it has done. Like, you know, I talked to friends in the EU, in the US, and they're still sadly struggling with multiple lockdowns coming back into play. And it is a very scary situation over there because this is a health pandemic at the end of the day, first and foremost. So from that perspective, you know, great. Like Singapore is in a very, very good situation right now on the health pandemic side. From the perspective, though, of just the nature of who and what Singapore is and what it represents to the world economy, there sadly is no other choice but to open up. And we've seen that, you know, with, which, is, which rarely, if ever, happened, where one country unilaterally opens travel lanes, right? And that Singapore is forced to do that, to try to encourage any kind of business travel to start coming back into the country. From the perspective of overall GDP, will this make a big enough dent? I sadly don't think so. Domestic tourism spending, you know, can only get a place so far when you're dealing with a 5 million population, give or take. The majority are millionaires, but even then, you know, it's, it's not enough to compensate for the likes of tourism from China or Korea or Japan, the US, etc. The, so there is a bit of an experiment. Try out the travel lanes. It will come with a lot of risks. But the track record of the government is extremely impressive to try and control that. But the big caveat, though, is, you know, with the, as Charlie Munger was saying, as he's seen historically, as we are already seeing just in the past couple of days itself, in terms of the number of vaccines that have been deployed in the U.S. and the U.K., I really do believe that these companies will be able to ramp up manufacturing and distribution extremely quickly. And when that happens, and I believe that will be potentially even quicker than six months, Singapore will be the first country to come out on top because everyone will look at this place and see, you know, they have done or we have done the best job pretty much across the globe in controlling this. It is extremely safe. It's a great place to visit. You know, let's make that travel and not just tourism, but also business travel. Right. And we've seen that with the WEF forum that is going to be scheduled for later uh, in 2021. And I do believe that with the combination of vaccines and the way Singapore government has managed the country, I do think that in the slightly shorter, like longer term future, like six months to a year, Singapore will do just fine. What a wonderful um, nuanced look at the next six months or so. Uh, great positivity there as well. All right, speaking of the theme of control, even as Singapore, you know, um, does so well with its grappling of COVID, uh, the world wondering what to do with big tech companies. So the EU has warned that it may break up big tech companies and that repeated offences um, under new rules are going to trigger action to force divestment, to force the breaking up of these tech companies. We also know over in the U.S., 10 U.S. states have filed a lawsuit against Google, 
accusing it of abusing its monopoly power in the market for online ads. And this suit goes to the heart of Google's business, a tech giant saying the charges are unfounded. I looked at the share price of Google's parent company, Alphabet, and it barely budged overnight. So investors don't seem too concerned about this latest assault on big tech. Uh, But Aaron, what do you think? With these moves, from what you're reading, should big tech be worried and should investors sit up and take notice? You know, Michelle, like this is a topic that I've been reading up a lot on because it's just truly fascinating to see, you know, the world going into the digital sphere and what implications and effects that has on be it personal privacy options or for that matter, uh, these large tech behemoths, uh, how they're going to control what we do on a day-to-day basis, right? Like not a day goes by without you being connected to, be it WhatsApp or Instagram, thanks to Facebook, or uh, Google, or, you know, ordering something on Amazon, or using an Apple phone, like pretty much the entire Fang universe. But I I would probably take a step back and try and split up the two big issues that are facing big tech, right? One is privacy, and one is the whole monopoly angle uh, that you touched about on Google. So first, let's take privacy, right? Like the EU, It's a region that takes personal privacy extremely seriously. They have been at the forefront of PDPA measures, which be it the US, uh, Singapore for that matter also, have adopted some extent of those measures to protect the individual rights of a person in this digital world that we now live in. And in that regard, Apple stands out by far amongst its competition, right? Because just yesterday, Facebook came out with a whole bunch of ads saying that Apple's new iOS data privacy measures will force companies like Facebook to not come up with tailor-made ads. Because mm. the way what Apple is doing is it's changing its UX, its user experience, to when an app is opened up within the Apple ecosystem, users will have to provide explicit permission to that app to be able to track where you are, what you're doing, etc. So the odds are when a user actually sees that start warning, they might just click no. And when that happens, you know, Facebook doesn't get access to that data to provide those personalized ads. Now, Facebook has obviously done a great spin on this entire campaign where they've come out saying it's not for Facebook, it's actually for the millions of small business that relies on Facebook to provide those tailor-made ads. And what Apple is doing is actually bad for business. But Apple is saying, hold on a minute, the individual personal rights, the personal privacy uh, argument should be holding more ground over here. So it'll be fantastic to see, you know, which side wins out. Is it going to be the personal privacy angle or is it going to be the whole aspect that businesses will suffer by not being able to provide tailor-made ads and then no one is better for it in the long run. My personal two cents on this, I think Apple has a really good footing going into next year and in the you know long-term future by being very, very steadfast on pro-privacy, pro-individual rights in this digital world. So that's on the privacy side. On the monopoly side, that's where Apple will obviously fall under the sad fact that Apple and Google pretty much control most of these 
you know, that entire tech space, those kind of platforms. And they came into a whole host of trouble. I think it was like three to six months back where the whole aspect of any kind of app, in-app purchase that takes place, these guys will take like a 30% commission on that also. So not just will they take a 30% commission on when you buy a certain game or when you buy a certain app via their platform, any subsequent amount of money you spend within that app, that is now controlled by Apple and Google and they will take a 30% cut of that too. So I think in that regard, I'm sure a whole host of companies are going to, you know, take them to court and claim that there's a duopoly going on right now. And or either if they get they get some success in the judicial system, if not, who knows, right? Maybe in the next three to five years, they'll come up with some kind, some other kind of platform that can be installed in a more, uh, you know, neutral form, like the whole Linux uh, equivalent to uh, Microsoft. So it'll be interesting to see. The tech world, while it's done phenomenally well the last year, or for that matter, three, five years, uh, you know, when you come to a certain size, a lot more eyes are focused on you, as we saw with Ant Financial. So will regulation be a big play or will it have a big effect on the stock prices of technology companies? Absolutely. I mean, look at what Microsoft was back in the day and when the DOJ, the Department of Justice in the U.S., decided to step in and, uh, you know, clamp it down a little bit, the stock, the share price of Microsoft was pretty much stagnant for like 15 years. So, yeah, I think it's going to be quite a tough, uh, it'll be an interesting bumpy ride. There will obviously be some winners as always. But uh, it'll be a fascinating uh, space to keep uh, a watch over. Yeah, the gloves are off with this feud against big tech. Let's hope that uh, users come out winners as well uh, with these regulations. And hopefully these regulations have real teeth when it comes to uh, big tech, which is evolving so quickly, right? Absolutely. Like it, it's, in, in all you know, deference to the regulators, they're dealing with something extremely difficult. Right? It's very easy to sit back on our couches looking at Facebook, looking at Google, uh, ordering from Amazon and claiming, okay, this is great for me right now, but then, oh, wait a minute, why isn't the regulator doing anything to clamp these uh, large, from these massively large companies becoming even larger? So from that regard, it's not an easy job by any stretch of the means. And there will be a lot of trial and errors to figure out how government can properly regulate these technology companies, while not stepping on the respective constitutions of each country, definitely in the US and Europe, at least, where freedom of speech is a big thing, uh, you know, this whole privacy concerns of whether a company uh, like Apple or someone should be forced to give regulators access to a person's phone if, in case there's some kind of terrorist or nefarious activities taking place. So all of these aspects, which in the real world has been sorted out over 100 or 150 years of regulation, this kind of dramatic growth of the digital world, just in this last, in the span of what, like 15, 18 years, give or take? Yeah. It's an extremely difficult proposition, right? So it, it's not going to be solved overnight, nor in the next couple of years, but it'll be interesting to see how this actually pans out through the entire judicial system across the world. 
All right. We started with soaring U.S. stocks. And so let's sort of taper off with that as well. Soaring U.S. stocks certainly providing the rocket fuel for a particular fund, the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, which has surpassed $1 trillion, that mark, in terms of assets. It is the first of its kind to eclipse that $1 trillion mark, though. Um, first of all, why has it done so well, Arun? So this specific uh, index slash fund uh, has over, I think, close to like 4,000 stocks within its uh, ticker. And the expense ratio, or basically the amount of money an investor pays to Vanguard to get exposure to all of those different stocks is at three to four basis points, so 0.03% per year, which is basically negligible, right? Mm -hmm. So with one click of the button, an investor sitting anywhere in the world can get access to 4,000 stocks of the U.S., which is remarkable, right? It's amazing where a retail investor who only has, say, $1,000 or $5,000 to invest I actually think the minimum ticket size is $3,000. I could be wrong, but a a relatively small amount of money to be able to buy into an extremely diversified basket of stocks at basically zero cost is something amazing. So from that respect, props to Vanguard to be able to come up with something this uh, applicable to the entire investing universe. So it's not a big surprise that from the advent of this index, which was like back in 1992, Mm -hmm. which initially started out with like 500 million US dollars of assets under management, it's just grown pretty much every single year to come up to close to a trillion dollars. That's like 2,000 times growth of AUM. So fantastic. Wow. And this, by the way, listener, is the ETF that has attracted the most cash of any ETF so far this year. So people are paying attention to passive investing, right, in a big way. Um, bef- yeah, go sure ahead. Go, go ahead, no, like, like Buffett says this spot on, right? Like for most investors, they should just take 90% of their money, the investable asset class, the investable assets that you have. 90% should go into a well-diversified equity market and 10% into bonds. And that will, in the long run, outperform the majority of active fund managers that are out there. So, you know, kudos to that. And uh, by all means, you know, it's a great uh, way to get exposure to the mass market. Oh, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Before I let you go, I I really have to ask you about this because it is big news today. And um, you've talked about this before. But Bitcoin has hit above US 20,000 for the first time, Arun. A a new milestone. Where is it heading? (laughs) (laughs) Some say a million. Can you imagine? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, are, are, are you sore that you didn't buy bitcoin earlier this year and I, i'm actually not because it's something that i genuinely don't understand so that's like saying you know i'll, I'll just randomly put money at something with the complete hope that it'll just do well not knowing anything about it and then that's from my perspective in regards with that asset class like let, let's but you know let's be very careful Twenty thousand, sure all-time high just a year and a bit ago, it was at 19,000, went down to 3,000. I would just urge all your listeners to please be very, very careful 
It is an extremely speculative underlying investment. It's tripled in value since January. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> That's what momentum, speculative assets do, huh? I mean, momentum traders, fantastic, right? Like, sure, ride the wave, but so did uh, the tulip. So did pretty much any other bubble that has had a massive spike of a price increase without an underlying reason as to what it's delivering to the investor. Is it a farm that provides you wheat? Is it uh, equity that provides you a dividend or growing revenues or earnings? There is no dividends from this. There is no aspect of it being utilitarian in terms of uh, you know, providing wheat or potatoes or something else. So it's just the hope that you know, someone else will be buying it at a higher price than you. And that's a game that I definitely don't want to play in. Mm. All right. Words of (laughs) caution there. We hear you loud and clear. Thank you, Arun, for joining us. (laughs) Thank you so much, Michelle. (laughs) Have a great year. You too. Arun Pai is Chief Strategy Officer at Flow, joining me here on Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.